0: Welcome to 13, a bi-weekly podcast where one Colgate University community member answers 13 questions about their work. My name is Daniel DeVries, and today I'm actually talking with two folks at Colgate, Dr. Merrill Miller and Dr. Ellen Larson from our Student Health Services. Both Doc Miller and Doc Larson have been leading Colgate's healthcare response to the coronavirus. Doc Miller is a graduate of Cornell University and did her medical training at the Memorial Sloan-Kettering Cancer Center, the University at Buffalo, and the SUNY Health Science Center in Syracuse. She is the director of Colgate's Health Services and has chaired Colgate's Health Sciences Advisory Committee and Colgate's Wellness Initiative, as well as being president of the medical staff at Community Memorial Hospital and the Board of Directors of the SOMAC Ambulance Corps. She has been the longtime host of What's Up Doc, a radio show on WRCU-FM, and she was recognized in People Magazine as the first female physician for a Division I football team. Dr. Larson is a graduate of Colgate University. She attended Penn State College of Medicine and attended the Williamsport Family Medicine Residency Program. Dr. Larson was a family medical practitioner at Bassett Healthcare in Hamilton before joining Colgate in 2019. And Dr. Larson is also a member of the Hamilton Central School District Board of Education. Dr. Miller and Dr. Larson, welcome to 13.
1: Hi, Dan. Hi, thank you.
0: Thank you both for taking some time out of uh, what I'm sure is a a very busy day. Um, I will jump right into the questions here. And I'd like to start uh, kind of at the beginning. Um, Tell me when you both first heard about the emergence of this coronavirus and I guess your first impression when you first heard about it.
2: Well, I guess I'll go uh, first. We'll go by age here. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, uh, not surprisingly, I heard about it at the same time as everybody else um, in the community, which is in... um, late December, early January. Uh, And at that point, um, it wasn't clear that this was more than just another virus infection. Um, I immediately thought back to um, some of the other infections that had come from Asia, such as SARS, um, uh, because we had some involvement with uh, with SARS, having a study group in China at that time. Um, But I sort of sat back and waited to hear more information, and um, unsurprisingly, a lot more information has come to me.
0: How about you, Dr. Larson?
1: So it's actually almost hard to remember um, starting to to learn about it and, and hear about it because it feels like it's all gotten blurred in um, with time. But like Doc said, Uh, I think like everybody else, we started hearing about it um, December into January. Um, One of the things that I'm involved with are some Facebook physician groups, um, and I pretty rapidly became involved in um, both some international and some... Well, actually they're both international um, Facebook groups um, discussing um, this virus and the infection and management of it in different parts of the world um, and what different parts of the world we're seeing and so that's how my perspective was shaped and
0: formed. Is where we are today what you expected when you when it all started and or has the impact been more profound than you initially expected?
2: I would say absolutely the impact has been Um, enormous and much more than anything um, in my lifetime. Um, And uh, it certainly does sound very much like um, what I've read about in the early 1900s with the Spanish flu, um, an infection that rapidly um, circled the world. Um, Just to give you an idea, right now, over 50% of the entire world's population is in some amount of lockdown. Um, and, uh, this is an infection that came on very rapidly and has persisted at a high level, um, for months now. Um, I am an optimistic person, but I don't yet see the end of it, um, in my eyesight.
0: So, do they teach pandemic response in medical school or, or is this something that you know health providers around the country have to learn about kind of on the fly?
1: I can say I was not taught about pandemic <laughs> response in medical school or residency, um, and I have not pursued further public health education. I don't know whether you know um, those healthcare providers who have master's in public health may have had some further training in that than I had. But no, it was not part of the standard medical curriculum in my my timeline.
2: (laughs) I would say um, uh, this level of pandemic uh, was not uh, in my education. But, um, you know, I'm an old person. When I started uh, 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 in school and in practice, um, we still had uh, polio. Uh, out there and I had patients who were in iron lung machines. Um, and so I do remember when I was young, people being enormously concerned about polio. Um, and in the summertime uh, where you went and where you didn't go were very real uh, issues. So um, uh, again, I, I was part of the Salk vaccine studies uh, when I was in grade school. Um, There were major diseases. I mean, it was before MMR vaccines, other things like that. There really were major diseases. Um, This one um, is far more Mm -hmm. um, life-threatening than those were um, certainly in this short-term amount of time. I will say one other thing because I um, um, have in the past uh, had medical students and interns and residents who have shadowed with me um, down here. Um, and none of them have had training in what I call group diseases or group living and the types of situations that come up um uh with group living. And for them it is always eye-opening. So I believe mm-hmm. they still don't get um much education in terms of um uh, of the things that, that the dynamics both social and physical um that have to do with um with groups.
0: Mm. So How have the recommendations that you've been reading uh, from the World Health Organization and the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, I guess, how have those recommendations evolved since the outset of of the COVID-19 pandemic?
2: Well, um, I'll start off by saying I think the CDC and their website is magnificent. (laughs) Um, uh, i People laugh at me when I say I feel good about paying my taxes. <laughs> Go ahead and have that available to us because it is all at no charge and it is um, just a gathering of enormous amounts of remarkably valuable practical information um, for us to use on a day to day basis. Uh, and going along with that is um, our local Madison County Department of Health has been remarkable. They have for many, many years, and they are again remarkable in how they are helping us uh, uh, and ev- every place. Uh, uh, in Madison County, here, the New York State Department of Health, all of these things really have been wonderful. They gather together wise, well-educated people um, mm-hmm. to go ahead and come up with uh, uh, with the information that's necessary um, to go ahead and, and help us, uh, as I said, on a day-to-day basis. And they also have access to, um, you know, it sounds cliche to say it, but it's true, cutting-edge, up-to-date information. Um, that, as I said, really is remarkably helpful.
1: Um, and, and I will say, I think I started spending, initially was spending more time with the World Health Organization website because, again, early on, much of the data was coming from international sources um, and and then transitioned to the CDC. Um, again, asking how much it has changed over time. I think back to when we started the EOC and and we were trying to come up with Sensible guidelines. It felt like every day we were rewriting them, um, and I can't even remember what those changes were every day. But it was it was changes in um, testing, in in isolation, in quarantine, in you know which countries needed to be monitored when people returned from those areas. It was um, changes in recommendations for what equipment should be people be wearing in you know the different places of contact, including, you know, the cleaning staff, um, and facility staff and buildings and grounds. And, and it was, it really did feel like for probably two weeks, things were literally changing by the hour, um, that every day when we sat down for those meetings, that multiple things had changed overnight. Um, and that guide, guidance was, was changing. So. And again,
2: it wasn't because people were wrong. It was no. because we just was, like, evolved. learning. No. We just didn't yet know about uh, this brand new uh, virus.
0: So, there have been health emergencies on campus in the past. I mean, I think it was in 2018 when we had a meningitis case, uh, and that spurred a number of public health initiatives on campus, including coordinating uh, immunizations. Um, How does what we're dealing with right now compare to that kind of response?
2: Well, uh, it is really um, logarithmically. Larger. Uh, The reason being that uh, thankfully, uh, serious though that was, and I don't mean to minimize the the seriousness of meningitis or that particular um, um, case, um, but it still was a limited number of people. Mm. And it was a limited number of people who were um, thankfully pretty readily identified. um, And there was a treatment available. Uh, to go ahead and uh, um, and protect those individuals who had been exposed, uh, so um, this is uh, is bigger in terms of um, numbers and bigger in terms of consequences um, and uh, um, And the decisions that needed to be made um, then affected a much larger um, um, part of campus all of campus. And there are now ongoing um, additional uh, decisions that are being made um, frequently, and that will have um, not only short-term, but long-term uh, impact. So uh, it really is, whether you use logarithmic or exponential or whatever, uh, it's more than double, more than triple, more than quadruple. It's way up there on the scale in terms of um, um, uh, what in the, a significant impact this has on us here in small town America, um, and we are just one iota of what's going on um, everywhere. Um, so very, very different.
0: Can, can you two talk a little bit about the unique challenges that are, are really found on a college campus when it comes to containing um, and preventing contagious diseases? You know, you had, you mentioned a little bit earlier, group living. Right. So what what makes um, battling something like this? um, How is it different on a college campus?
1: It's Because I think I think the group living is a big part of it. And I think the fact that the culture of college is getting people together, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it be academically, whether it be for social events, whether it be for anything else. I think one of the biggest challenges we faced early on was that we had large groups of people getting together. and and learning to navigate that, and eventually that meant not allowing large groups to navigate, but then um, multiple people living in a room. If somebody is sick, you can't send them to their room um, to isolate like you might at home. Um, several people sharing a bathroom, um, trying to dispense food to a significant number of people and trying to limit contact person to person. Um, and then and then I think the other side of it is is the sheer number of people that they come in contact with that aren't students. Um, you know, the, that food services staff, again, buildings and grounds and facilities staff, campus safety, there, there are a lot of people in contact, even when you think you have spread everybody out and, and decreased the number of people um, in one space. There's, there are still lots of touch points um, that I think has been part of the challenge.
2: And this is an infection that goes through the air. Um, and that means, you know, air is what we all participate uh, <laughs> in breathing. And so, um, uh, and it happens to be a very transmissible disease. Hmm. Um, you know, we are a campus of 17 to 22 year olds and um, uh, surrounded by um, a community, um, of people. And, um, we are all in this one together. Mm
0: -hmm. What have been the biggest misconceptions about the virus that you've encountered in your work with students and staff and faculty? Has there been any kind of glaring, um, things that have stood out to you of people that kind of just didn't understand what was going on or things that, you know, maybe they wrongly believed?
2: I would say we are um, no different than uh, the rest of this country and other countries. Um, There are situations where people shine in terms of uh, understanding and wanting to do the right thing for both themselves and everybody else. And there are instances where people um, either just don't get it and think that this is a problem for other people and they will be able to continue their everyday activities. Um, and then there are downright um, uh, very sad situations. Um, I think that because some of the initial information um, alluded to the fact that young people um, did not have uh, this problem, um, not recognizing that although younger people did not tend to have the as many of the um, significant or deadly um, complications, they certainly, could have the disease and spread it to others. Um, and so young people were as much a part of trying to help the situation as anything else. Those are probably the two main um, areas with on the sort of what I would say the constant background of young people um, tend to be exuberant in everything they do. And that often involves close contact. Right. Uh, and that's not good when you have a very transmissible infectious disease. Sure.
1: I would say the one misconception that I saw, especially sort of fairly recently, was the sense that we were going to be safe here,
0: Mm.
1: that this was going to be a safe haven and that we wouldn't be affected. Um, And I think it actually took more effort than I expected to get people to recognize that this virus was here. And, and we needed to change how we were behaving and how we were acting um, because this virus was here. And the, the sentiment that if I had only known, I would have acted differently um, was, was interesting to me and surprising to me. But, but that was also, you know, the learning point of realizing that I had been immersed in this virus for two months and, and everybody else was just beginning to really start to see it um, in some ways. But I think that was one of the, sort su- sur- not surprises, but one of the lessons um, <clears throat> for me um, in misunderstandings or misperceptions.
0: Yeah, I think common in a lot of rural areas. I mean, people mm-hmm. think that just because you live in a place that doesn't have a lot of people, you're, mm-hmm. you're immune. But mm-hmm. um, So there was a time, uh, I, I'd like you to think back to couple weeks ago <laughs> when folks wearing masks to a grocery store in the U S was almost unheard of. Um, and now you're basically an outlier if you show up to a store without one. Um, how long do you think people should expect to have to wear masks in public?
2: Uh, I would not be surprised if people, um, continue wearing masks for months to into 2022. Mm. Um, I think, uh, this is an infection that, uh, Um, we hope, um, we'll be able to be stopped with medications, but that is not yet clear. And it may well be that, uh, it won't be stopped until there's a vaccine, um, that's out there. And that we're talking about late 2021 into 2022. Um, uh, I've seen some wonderful, uh, different masks that are out there. So, uh. People can um, uh, have their own personality through their mask, and uh, everybody is uh, learning to look at look, learning to look at eyes uh, uh, rather than uh, than mouths um, along the way. And um, uh, there are some people who, uh, whose eyes I don't yet recognize, uh, <laughs> I, I should.
0: Yeah. You know, we're conducting this call, uh, this uh, this interview on Zoom, uh, like we did with our last episode. I, Ellen, I, I saw you held up a mask. What? Can I see that again? Was, if I can figure out how to. Do oh, it. is that an X-wing?
1: Yeah. Oh, and the Death nice. Star.
0: Very nice. I like Wait, it. See,
1: I'm I'm backwards and upside down, so I'm, <laughs> yes, struggling.
0: Some um, Star Wars theme.
2: Yes. Very cool. Um, so I'd yeah, like I, to I, say some of us didn't know how to spell Zoom until uh, <laughs> the past couple of weeks. Uh,
1: I think it'll be interesting to see if the culture here is forever changed yeah. and whether masks during flu season become a common, more common thing. Hmm. Um, and, and I think that would not be surprising that the, the culture here may forever be changed and we may see masks more often and, and more regularly.
0: That's a good the same segue. Thing, uh, the same
2: thing with handshaking. I think handshaking probably will not be nearly as common as it was um, uh, in the past and that it may persist for a long time or for at least part of this generation.
0: Oh. Well, uh, you know, kind of on the same line, and that's a pretty good segue into this next question is, how do you both think that Coronavirus will change the healthcare um, services in this country? Um, how will uh, physicians, um, will they be treating patients differently? Or will they, or in, is intake going to be different? I mean, is overall hospital care going to be different? I guess what's going to happen?
2: So, we actually have been talking about that very thing uh, here at the office. Um, uh, Telehealth, uh, be it just telephone alone or both um, audio and visual uh, healthcare, had been uh, gradually but very slowly um, increasing probably over the past one to two decades. Um, And now uh, it is. not only commonplace, but, uh, uh, many of us are finding it really can be very efficient. Um, and that's not just from a cost efficiency, but from a time, uh, efficiency. And, um, I, it would not be surprised. It would be surprising if there wasn't a change to more in the way of, um, telehealth, um, particularly with, uh, much of um, society now being accustomed to technology um, and uh, having the equipment so uh, readily available, uh, at least in much of, of this country. Um, so I, I think that's probably the most uh, common um, uh, change that I would go ahead and see as a, as a result of this.
1: I, I think, from a day-to-day practice standpoint, too, I think there's going to be a much bigger emphasis on sick waiting rooms and well waiting rooms. Even mm-hmm. though people can be asymptomatic spreaders and things like that, I think I, 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 it won't surprise me if there are is a bigger focus on sick spaces and well spaces, um, even within you know, waiting rooms and within health centers and within care teams. Um, I think the bigger question of how is this going to affect healthcare and hospital medicine could get very political <laughs> um, in the sense of, um, I think, financially, there are, this is like every other business in this country that is struggling to figure out how it is going to survive Medicine is exactly the same um, those um, hospitals that have had to stop elective surgeries um, that is one of their sources of revenue and as much as nobody in this country wants to think of medicine as a business right now it is um and and so the business of medicine is going to be hugely affected um, I think many many hospitals and health systems um have been struggling with, um, physicians versus administrators, um, for quite some time. And I think in some health systems, not in all health systems and, and to be clear, not locally. Um, but in some health systems that divide has become enormous through this process. There Mm. were many healthcare providers, um, who felt, that they were not appropriately supported um, with PPE and with the guidelines and the recommendations and all of those things to be able to protect themselves um, and their staff um, through that process. So again, I know that that can get a little bit political and, and can be a little bit um, of a firestorm, but I, I think very much think that that is going to be something that's going to play out over the next 6, 9, 12 18 months in this healthcare system
2: too. Mm. Uh, The other thing that uh, we clearly have to um, uh, look at is that uh, this uh, uh, national um, uh, health situation has again shown enormous disparity in care amongst uh, different economic groups uh, in this country. Um, And uh, uh, we absolutely have to go ahead and have... Equality in care. uh, We also need to go ahead and think about several models of some type of national health care that uh, that we will need to advance to. Um, I think there are several models that can be looked at, um, but clearly we need strong federal backing when there is national. catastrophic disease and, and situations. And um, we have to make sure that everybody gets treated uh, in an equitable way. And that has not happened for a long time uh, in this country and uh, still is not happening.
0: So with everything we're doing to fight This disease in this country. Um, You know, I think about social distancing, people staying home, um, people wearing masks in public, you know, the hand washing, um, just fewer, you know, interactions with people. What do you think some of the unintended consequences may be, both positive and negative? So I'm thinking, like, what will this do to the flu season? But also, will this cause an uptick in like preventable diseases because people are staying away from the doctor or the dentist, you know? Mm
2: Well, uh, that's a broad question. And of course, there then are broad answers. Uh, we, were, uh, we were sort of semi-joking uh, the other day that when this is all over and done with, everybody's going to need to have their teeth cleaned. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there are all sorts of things that, uh, that uh, have been put off. Um, uh, sadly, there are some people who will have diseases that could have been handled uh, easier had they been diagnosed earlier, there will be all sorts of ramifications from a uh, health point of view, but in just in general interactions there. uh, um, And in education, I think there's great concern that uh, schooling is not the same when it's done online uh, as it is when it's done in person. And that's all the way from pre-K on up and that um, there'll be a lot of catch up that will need to be done um, I think that uh, uh, going ahead and communicating only uh, electronically is not overall healthy for human beings. Um, so I think we will have a lot of uh, catch up to go ahead and do to get uh, back to at least the positive things that we're having that were happening um, before all of this.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of concern about what the downstream consequences of people not seeing their doctors for three, six, nine months is going to be um, and people then still being afraid to go um, even after that um, and what the consequences of that are going to be. Um, there's a lot of concern about people who were living in domestic violence situations to begin with and now are essentially trapped um, in those environments, um, um, people who were already struggling with mental health concerns um, and are now very isolated in in many ways um, and loneliness has been well documented to be one of the highest risks for mm. catastrophic outcomes with depression um, and so it's I think there's all of those things on the upside because let 's end on an up note um, mm. on the upside, I think a lot of families are reconnecting in ways that they simply have not connected in years. Um, I have reconnected with my Colgate friends. We now zoom every Sunday. We hadn't, you know, my reunion was last year. We hadn't been in contact for almost yet. You know, I mean, some of us hadn't been in contact in almost 20 years. Um, but now we're zooming every Sunday for an hour or half an hour, you know? And so in many ways, I think it, it does bring people together in a different way.
0: I played so. in a Zoom uh, game of Trivia Pursuit the other <gasps> night. Yeah, that was a lot. I'm
1: anxious to hear how that worked
0: because
1: <laughs> I think that could be a lot of fun. All
0: right. I'll give you some tips afterwards. Okay, done. all right, Excellent. So, um, you know, I want to ask also, I think there's one other important um, aspect here and that's how Colgate works with the local healthcare providers. I'm thinking like Community Memorial Hospital, which is right across the street. Um, and I'm thinking about the Madison County Department of Health. So as Colgate works to respond to a critical healthcare issue like this, how do you folks work with them?
2: So uh, I can talk about both of um, those and then Dr. Larson, who is most recently uh, in the private sector uh, uh, within uh, uh, within this community can, can add to it. Um, we are really very, very lucky here. The Madison County Department of Health is a strong uh, group of uh, wise, knowledgeable people who, honest to goodness, are there to help you out. Um, And they are are easy to access um, and think in a common sense, um, scientific way about how to deal um, uh, with situations. Um, So that has been, for a long time, a very healthy relationship um, and a good relationship and a lot of respect um, that goes both ways. And so this situation was not any different um, from the other times we've interacted with them, just on a more frequent basis. Um, uh, and uh, and that continues. So I think we, we actually are very lucky to have their support. Uh, Community Memorial Hospital, um, again, we've always had an excellent relationship um, with them. Um, and that has continued um, and uh, is even stronger uh, now mm-hmm. because um, we have some of the resources that they um, uh, are in need of. And they have the uh, physical plant and the lab to help us out um, uh, with, with what we need to, to do and, and uh, have wonderful backup um, uh, for us. So um, we are um, much luckier than than other scenarios um, uh, in in other small communities, um, and you know, there are some wonderful things about small town living. Um, Larson alluded to it just a short time ago. We actually have an administration at the local hospital that uh, is very cooperative, um, and uh, uh, it, it's it's a pleasure to go ahead and know that there are um uh, people that were all in it as i said we're all in it together um and nobody um has a uh, has a, a get out of jail free card <laughs> that they wave at any point along the way everybody helps everybody else so uh we um very gratefully are getting donations of uh personal protective equipment from alums and from uh families of our students. And we share that with SOMAC Ambulance and with Community Memorial Hospital. Um, And uh, they help us out with uh, laboratory uh, backup and with support and we know that uh, our students and our faculty and our staff um, uh, are gonna be helped uh, right here in this community.
1: I I would agree that our, our relationship with Community Memorial Hospital Um, I think both as a university and as individuals, um, it is a unique situation in a very positive way. I've been in this community coming up on 19 years, and when I started, I started working in the hospital. I delivered babies. I worked um, in the ICU. I worked on the floors in addition to working in the community. And so coming, you know, moving over to Colgate, I've actually found myself in the hospital a little more than I used to be. And the nurses that I worked with almost 20 years ago are still there, (laughs) The, you know, the dieticians that worked there almost 20 years ago are still there. And so it's an immediate connection and immediate trust. You know, you don't have that. Who are you? I don't know you and needing to build trust. Um, and, and it is um, it is a small hospital. It doesn't have the technology and the sub 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 specialists that some of those larger hospitals have. But it has an unbelievable air of teamwork. Um, that everybody in that hospital is there to support each other and the patients and the community and to get everything done. And, you know, the administrators, the nurses, the other providers, they're all, they're peers. They have kids the same age as mine. I know them from school. I know them from work. I know them from the community. And we all know each other from all of those faces. And I think that's one of the things about a small town that, while sometimes it feels like it's stepping on your toes a little bit and invading your privacy, It also builds care teams that are almost unequaled um, in in other places.
0: What has been the most challenging aspect of this whole thing for your team? Um, How many people are um, in student health services? I mean, can you give us an idea of your your office, how big it is? And I mean, you're supporting you know about 2,900 students when everybody's on campus. Of course, most people are are gone now. Um, But tell me a little bit, I guess, about the 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 pressure that puts on your office.
2: So in um, uh, including full-time and part-time, um, staff, um, uh, quite nicely, we have a total of 13 individuals, so <laughs> 13 again. Um, and uh, that's because we're open, um, six days a week. Um, and, uh, some of those individuals work 10 months a year, some work 12 months a year. Um, as you know, Colgate's, Uh, The number of uh, people on campus varies uh, during uh, certain times of the year. Um, Most of our staff is working from home, uh, and um, we are a very um, people-affiliated service. Um, So the things that people are doing from home is very different than what they would be doing here in the office. We would have uh, the phone ringing off the hook, and uh, uh, people here from uh, start to end, uh, of the day, every day, um, and interacting uh, with with people, um, so it's different. Um, and uh, I think we miss having sort of the constant hustle and, and bustle that that goes on. Um, and you know what, you know, although we see students who may be ill or injured, um, also absolutely get to hear about the fabulous things that they do um, the projects they do. And then we get to watch them on the stage and on the ice and in the water and, uh, at the podium. Um, and, uh, as I said, there's nothing like the exuberance of a college campus. And when you are, um, uh, working from home, uh, or, um, uh, talking to people rather than seeing them and just not running into them along the way, it, it's kind of drab. Uh, <laughs> Um and much as I like seeing Dr. Larson every day, it would be nice to see. You too. <laughs>
1: I won't take it personally, it's okay.
2: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I think you're right. We're it's a we're people-based people. Um and so just like everybody else, I think we're feeling the impact of of not seeing people. Yeah. Um, including each other. But but then also the students uh, and all of that, I think, you know, I think from a practical standpoint, too, one of the things we really needed to talk about up front was making sure that everybody knew how to do everything, because if someone got sick, if someone went down, Everybody else needed to be able to pick up the reins and and go with it. And that meant and that meant potentially, you know, seeing students and taking care of students in in high risk situations. And and so, you know, making sure that everybody understood the thought process and the the necessary procedures and 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 all of those pieces. um, as as hard as that was, that that, those were part of the conversations that we had to have. What if something happens to, to one of us, you know, making sure that everybody Knew um, what all those moving pieces were and and continuing to communicate that, I think, was one of the
2: challenges. We have not started wearing virtual reality glasses, but (laughs) if this goes on much longer, we may start doing that.
0: So, you know, with all the the doom and gloom that we've seen, um, there are certainly, uh, you know, some points of light. And I'm curious as to um, both of your reflections on what may have been, you know, some of the more heartwarming moments that you may have encountered through all of this so far.
2: Well, um, certainly um, uh, the EOC uh, group. um, That's the
0: Emergency Operations Center.
2: Yep, which is uh, made up of about 50 different um, individuals from all the different departments of campus meeting together on this very large, complex um, uh, crisis um, has shown me how well people can work together and how, um, uh, how much skill um, uh, people have. Uh, and uh, it, it's, re- it's it, you know, you wish it weren't for this reason, but it's really a pleasure to go ahead and say, I know I can count on this and this and this and this and this and, this, um, and, and to go ahead and get results. So it is enormous uh, teamwork uh, amongst very, very skilled um, people. Um, also, uh, no, it's been... Um, Really heartwarming to go ahead and get phone calls and emails um, from individuals, some from the recent past, some from the long ago past, just going ahead and letting us know they're thinking about us and wondering um, what they may be able to do in addition to thinking good thoughts um, (laughs) about us. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, it's not a quote from me, it's from somebody else. Um, but I, I think it applies in this situation, uh, uh, and some've heard of it before. I, I wrote it down because I, I didn't want to mess it up, which is that um, this is clearly a, a, a situation where we're faced a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Mm-hmm. That's what we're dealing with, mm-hmm. but we really are going ahead um, and thinking deeply and clearly. Um, uh, how to go ahead and help everybody else uh, right now. So um, it, it, it's great to work with uh, with people who are all moving forward, even when forward um, may be slow. And even when uh, we realize, boy, these are baby steps, and I wish I could get to second grade. And oof, <laughs> high school and college are way in the future. <laughs> But we're on the way, we're on the
1: way. that's really what it is. Yeah, and I think think there's lots of things that you could say are are shining moments. But again, I think for me, it's the people. And like Doc said about the EOC, I I was a Colgate employee for maybe three to four months when this happened. And so all of a sudden there's 50 people that I know really well from all over campus that I never probably would have met, or it would have taken me years to meet and get to know and really work with. Um, And, uh, and so that's been pretty amazing. And uh, students too, we found ourselves in this situation where there are a handful of students that we were communicating with daily for a week or two at a time. And so I think there are a handful of students that I have also gotten to connect with in a way um, that I don't, think we would have in any other way. And so again, those people connections at a time where we're sort of isolated from people in many ways, um, tend to be the shining spots.
2: So, so the kid, Dr. Larson, she would walk up to people for about a week and go, Who are you and what do you do?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to do
2: it. No yeah. Finally
1: I said the first time I did it I said, All right, I'm over it. I just need to say who are you and what do you do?
0: <laughs> 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 because
1: it was too hard to keep track
0: i hear you but lot, i almost always
1: get their names right now almost nice. always nice
0: so <laughs> i i did a bad job announcing it but that was the 13th question uh you, you've been through all of them um thank you so much uh for being on the show i, I really appreciate it and in um you know i guess uh I'm going to be breaking my 13 rule here, but I do have one other question I want to add to the mix. And and that's, um, you know, we currently have about 240 students that have remained on campus that, you know, they can't return home for one reason or another. Um, How's everybody doing?
2: Well, we, um, um, uh, you may be aware, Dan, that uh, uh, amongst the dean of the college staff, uh, we've each tried to go ahead and adopt a couple of those students so that they hear from us. um, uh, hopefully, at least once a week, um, just to go ahead and say um, how's things going, and uh, uh, academically with your family, whatever else. Uh, just to let them know that, uh, um, even though they're not seeing us in in person, uh, uh, in three D, uh, that uh, uh, that we're all uh, here with them and looking forward to. Uh, uh, that I fully anticipate will be uh, sometime next year, uh, are being out and about um, in uh, uh, both the good weather and the bad weather that we have uh, in upstate New York. Um, so uh, I, I think they are uh, getting accustomed to a different type of uh, learning um, and that it's really very quiet. Uh, yeah. But other than that, uh, I think they're doing okay and that they are actually uh, grateful um, that uh, they're able to uh, stay here and, uh, 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 and continue their education. Nice. I think their parents are also very grateful. And we have heard that certainly from many parents, that they're very grateful um, that their children are being taken care of here. Great.
0: Well, thank you both again, Dr. Larson and Dr. Miller. I really appreciate your time. Um, That was 13. Make sure to tell your friends and family about the podcast and let us know how we're doing. Email 13 at colgate.edu. That's 13, the number, with your thoughts or ideas. And let us know if you have any questions you'd like to have answered. As always, have a wonderful week and keep asking questions. 13 is a production of the Colgate University Office of Communications. Audio engineering by Brian Ness. Logo art by Ketrail Pritz. Executive producer, Laura Jack. And I'm your host and producer, Dan DeVries. Visit colgatemagazine.com and colgateresearchmagazine.com for more in-depth faculty research stories.